listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Tactical Kitchen Podcast. I'm Steve Behrens. I'm your host with my beautiful wife, Melody. Hey guys, today we're going to be talking all about the ketogenic diet and digestion, one of my favorite topics. Very important. Digestion is often overlooked, especially by us military guys. We (laughs) swallow food or we inhale food. We don't actually try to digest anything. So we're going to cover what is considered to be good digestion, starting from the top and going all the way to the bottom. You know where the bottom is. Yep, you got a tube. It goes from your mouth to your anus, and out comes what you don't want. So, recently, um, we went camping. Right, so everybody knows we've been doing a carnivore-type diet for the past 66-ish days, and it's been awesome. But last week, we went camping, and camping, most of the time when people go, you're only eating hamburgers, hot dogs, mostly anyway, but other people add s'mores and treats And what we found was it made it really easy. Everybody knows camping uh, refrigerators in RVs and they're not very big. So it's kind of like a dorm fridge. So you don't have a lot of room. So a lot of time when you go camping, you have to go resupply a couple times. We found that just eating mostly meat, it saved a lot of room in the fridge. It did. And, you know, I was really thankful for our outdoor grill because it cooking in a camper can be interesting. Um, so cooking everything outside and just having meat was super easy. And I noticed that our refrigerator was not crammed shut. I didn't have to cram everything in there, like with my foot, pushing it in to try to shut the door because there were no big green leafy vegetables. Right. Because vegetables, you have to take a bunch to get a little bit of nourishment from them. So we also took our dog and our cat. First time taking a cat camping. That was interesting. Uh, We've taken the dog camping multiple times. Luke, the golden doodle, he's a great dog, does camping very well, very obedient. However, our cat is the exact opposite. She's the hellraiser in the group, and she (laughs) does not like to follow rules. No, and she also doesn't like to walk on a leash, which I thought was a great idea, and I remember you laughing at me. And (laughs) then once I put it on her, I realized it looked like a straight jacket, and I thought it was pretty fitting since she is crazy. And when we did go walk her, <laughs> and she got scared, and she escaped out of the straitjacket and ended up on top of my head with all her paws clawing into my scalp, I realized this was a really bad idea. The, the funniest part is the idea of putting a leash on a cat. The first time you put it on her, all she does is fall over like she's dead. Sort of like a fainting goat. Like a fainting goat. You put the, the leash on her or the, the collar, and she just falls over, <clears throat> And lays there. It was pretty. It was pretty hilarious. So we won't probably. Um, yeah, we'll take her. We'll take her every time. No, absolutely, because it's funny. And since we were still doing the carnivore diet this whole time, we should probably talk a little bit about what happened with our blood sugar. We haven't got our complete 
blood results back yet, which is very frustrating. We called our doctor's office. We got that scored away. Uh, we have to actually go pick it up now where they used to just post it online for us. But yeah, blood sugar, uh, very interesting to tell people how that affects eating, eating keto. Because I think a lot of people think that we were eating very high protein. And when I checked my macros, because I, I actually tracked them for the last week, which was really, really depressing to have to track something, but I did it so I could see. And all of my macros show that I was eating about 100 grams of protein a day and the rest of everything that I had was fat. So my fat and protein percentages were about 75% fat and about 25% protein. And there might've been one or two grams of carbs in there just that come naturally with the protein. So my blood sugar did not ever go up after eating a steak. We checked it regularly. We did. And when you're keto, for one thing, people have to know that oftentimes you have a higher blood sugar in the morning than normal. They call it the dawn effect. Uh, as you go keto, if you intermittent fast, your blood sugar will kind of raise up during the morning. Mine will be around 95 most, most of the times in the morning before I eat. And that is considered odd. Can't explain it. But we thought maybe if we were eating too much protein, that would affect our blood sugar. But again, we tested about an hour and two hours after we eat and our blood sugar does not go up no, it stays, it stays in that really good range. Like my normal blood sugar during the day is right around in the 70s or 80s. And then when I eat a steak, it would go like two hours later, it might be like 95 and then it, or maybe up to 100 and then it was going back down into the 80s. So it was really blood sugar regulating and we added quite a bit of fat to our steaks Generally, especially if it was a New York strip, I would put what I call steak frosting on there, which is just a whole lot of Kerrygold butter. Something to consider when you're eating, if you're going to do an animal protein carnivore type diet, you have to add the fats in. Uh, Some people eat cheese. That was another interesting thing. Just saying, you know, for fats, I really stuck to butter because um, butter lard, tallow, so lard coming from pork, tallow coming from beef. I didn't find that I wanted to eat very much chicken or anything. And some people will incorporate cheese, but I can't really do cheese. Some people can't do cheese. So I use the animal fats primarily, but the cheese, it has casein in it. And if you have heard us before, you know I have a a gluten problem. Me and gluten, uh, we don't get along. So gluten... We're, we're not friends. We don't talk to gluten. No, we don't talk to gluten. Gluten is really similar to casein in structure. So when I eat casein or drink milk, I had to cut, stop drinking milk too because that was so similar to gluten in my body. My body thought, I guess it was gluten. So I started having eczema on my legs and I'm not down with that. No, it's no good when you're eating something and it's coming out in your skin. That's clearly an indicator of some inflammation. Yeah, it is. And it was really easy to figure out what it was since we were just eating beef and butter. And then I started drinking raw milk and I had a little cheese and it was super easy to figure out, hey, it's the milk and the cheese. That's a really good point because when you're eating such a low variety of food, you're eating meat, butter, drinking water, and you're not including a lot of other things, if you add something in, kind of like a, you know, if you did an elimination diet and added one thing back in, you can tell how that affects you. And that's really important to see what foods affect you negatively. I mean, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, it was. And I had to stop doing that because I thought I was going to claw my legs off. So I quit. 
<laughs> okay. And the other thing was my fingernails were growing so fast, I could have clawed my legs off. <laughs> you ever see the movies when they, they opened the uh, the casket and the people had the really long curly fingernails? Oh, yeah. That was me last week, basically. I know. I know. That and ha- my hair is growing really fast and <clears throat> my workouts are good. Working out has been great. I haven't seen any fall off in energy or stamina as far as working out goes. It's been awesome. If you have any other questions about our blood work or how we feel on the carnivore diet, send those to us and we'll get to them uh, possibly in the next podcast. But right now we want to start on digestion. It's going to be really a high overview of digestion because this is literally my favorite topic in the whole wide world. Um, Because digestion is so key no matter what you're eating. I love this quote that I learned in culinary school. And I never really thought too much about my digestion. And this quote is, I'm not even going to try to hardly pronounce his name because he's French. The last name is Briant Savarin. I'll give you that much. Briant Savarin. Yeah. So the quote is, he was a a French lawyer, but he was also, you know, known to love food. He said, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you what you are. And that means a lot more to me now than it ever has. Well, we can also take that a a step further and say, tell me what you eat. And tell me what you digest, and I can tell you what you are. That's exactly right. Because you can be well-fed, but undernourished. Truth bomb. Truth bomb. Drop the mic. (laughs) So we're going to start at the top of digestion. Again, like Melody said, we can talk about this for hours. We try (laughs) and limit this to just about a half an hour show so everybody can get through it quickly. Yeah, I have to say hi overview for myself because I'll get into the weeds and you'll have to pull me out. I'll be like uh, a commando jumping into the weeds to pull her out. No, don't talk about that. Okay, Rambo. (laughs) So digestion, where does it start? Actually, it starts before you ever touch your food. It starts when you see it. It does. It starts when you see it. Sometimes, honestly, it starts for people when they think about it. Have you ever thought about something and you, like I can do it right now. I can think about a lemon and I can feel my salivary glands kind of tweak right by my ears. They kind of give this little cramping feeling. And that's your salivary glands working. Well, that's why marketing works. When they show a picture of a Big Mac on TV or a picture of some donuts or a picture of a steak on TV, your brain sees real food. Right, and they make it look so pretty. Did you know that's a job like food stylist? When I was in culinary school, you could have also learned to be a food stylist at some point. And they work hours on that one Big Mac, so it never really looks like that, you know, right? Oh, oh well, we know. It never <laughs> really looks like that. Yeah, so it begins in your brain. So when you see it, smell it, or even sometimes just hear about it, your digestive system gets all these messages, these hormones, and these signals from your brain. Right. Your body starts preparing to digest food. It's getting ready. It's like, uh, what's that guy's name? Michael Buffer. Let's get ready to rumble. Yeah. That's what your brain does when it sees food. It's getting ready to get it on. You could totally take his job. Yeah, probably not. Okay. So, you know, it's a north to south process. And when you think of that, if you think about digestion, it begins in the brain. Where would be the next place it would go? What's the next step? Of digestion? Yeah. It's, well, in your mouth. You put something in your mouth, right? A big part of digestion is being in a parasympathetic state. Think of, um, you know, <laughs> you're just totally chill and you're ready to eat. I don't see that many people eating like that in a very calm state when I'm out. Do you? No. Everyone is very busy. And we understand that. We're very lucky we get to sit down to meals with the family pretty 
pretty much every night. So we're very lucky that way. And we think everybody should do that, but not everyone has that opportunity. So when you're eating, it's very good to take a breath and relax and be grateful for the food that's in front of you. You're about to eat, so you should be thankful for that. Exactly, and that's why you know a lot of religious uh, practices incorporate that grace or a moment of silence or being thankful for your food because what it really is is it is resetting your nervous system. And tactical tip for you guys listening to us is that if you just take five deep breaths right before you eat, if you've been really stressed out for your day, then five deep breaths, you can reset your nervous system and get into that parasympathetic state. And why would you want to be in a parasympathetic state? Why does it matter when it comes to digestion? Well, it matters because being stressed out actually suppresses a very important part of our digestion. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. The first step, of course, is when you put the food in your mouth. And you have to do something that's very critical that most people overlook, which is chew your food. So when you talked about military stuff, you said you inhaled your food. You probably didn't even chew it. You probably chewed like Luke the Golden Doodle when we give him a piece of leftover steak. (laughs) And he comes in the kitchen and he won't leave us alone. And we actually give it to him and we watch him literally gulp it down. When you're in the military and in basic training, you're, you have about three minutes to eat your meal from the time you sit down to the time you get up. So that's, that's a very short period of time. So as a, a guy in the military and even the females, you're taught to basically inhale your food. Sit down, eat as fast as you can, and get out. That's not healthy. No, and I'm sure you're in a very calm state when you're doing this. <laughs> a lot of stress in basic training for anybody that's been through it understands that you're always pretty stressed out. So now you're you're not chewing your food, you're in a stress state, you're just not going to digest well. Right. So this is just basically the mechanical breakdown of food. But a really important thing happens in this mechanical breakdown of your food because when you saw that food, when you smelled it, or when you thought about it, you had that salivary gland excrete these salivary uh, juices into your mouth. It's uh, like One of them is salivary amylase. And just to not get too technical, this is what breaks down your carbohydrates. So for a lot of people who do eat some carbohydrates, this is really important because that's where the magic happens because you're chewing your food and you're coating it in this saliva and this has enzymes in it. And a lot of people don't really ever understand that it has enzymes in it. I didn't. I didn't think about digestion until I was like 28 years old. Well, I probably didn't think about it until right before this podcast. So, <laughs> no, it's a great point. Your your um, your saliva has to also be healthy, and that goes back to if you have poor nutrition, you have poor saliva, you don't digest well. But in your mouth, your saliva starts digesting those carbohydrates, and you chew the rest of your food and get it ready to be digested in your stomach because your stomach doesn't have teeth. So you need to do as much work up front before you swallow it and gets down into the stomach. It's not, it's not that your stomach can't break it down because you have this acid in your stomach that does. But the real thing is most people don't have a high, a low enough stomach pH. It's need, it needs to be very, very acidic. Most people don't have that. So the less work your stomach has to do, the better. But the big thing is it gives your body time to actually secrete this stomach acid. So that comes from the inside of your stomach lining and all these tiny glands, there's like millions of them. And they secrete this gastric juice, which is a mix of like mucus, 
uh, hydrochloric acid, some buffers and enzymes, and all this is there to break down your food. If you don't give your body time to do that, then you're making it just harder for your digestive system. You're putting it into a stressful state. So we already talked about stress uh, making your stomach acid. And I say, I say low. Uh, when you start talking about stomach acid, we say high and low. We really should use the term adequate amount because stomach acid should be around 1.5 to 3 in there. To 3.0. 3.0. That's your stomach acid. And on the pH level, that's low on the level, but that's a high amount of stomach acid. So it can get a little confusing. Right. So it means that zero on a pH scale for anyone who didn't pay attention in chemistry like me, um, it's straight acid. And when the acid is secreted by these cells in your stomach, it comes out at 0.8, which really is almost like pure acid. It could be used as a weapon. So, so, so if you find yourself in a dangerous situation, just throw up in your hand and chunk it at the attacker. Tactical tip number two. <laughs> or poop in your hand. Either one. <laughs> What are you, a monkey? (laughs) So I've seen monkeys do that. And when, you know, you have this stomach acid, it's really, it's really important for it to be at the right level because this is where magic happens. One of the most important things is having the appropriate amount of stomach acid. So we should cover some of the things that lower your acid or Uh, increase your acid. Let's just say make it inadequate. How's that? Right. They make it inadequate because it is confusing because on the pH scale, if it goes down, it's more acidic. If it goes up on the pH scale, it's more alkaline. Right. So when we're talking about stomach acid, there are a lot of things that can decrease the acidity of your stomach acid, make it inadequate and more alkaline. Why is this important? Well, you have to digest your food to get all the nutrients out of it. That's just the bottom line. So if you drink, let's say you drink a lot of sodas. Oh, sodas. I haven't drank soda since I was a teenager, but even carbonated water. So that's going to affect your stomach acid. Even carbonated water will will affect the level of your stomach acid and make you not able to digest the foods you need to. Think of carbonation as putting a little bit of baking soda into your stomach and diluting acid because that's what baking soda does. It raises the alkalinity of an acid. So when you drink that with your meal, then all you're doing is putting out your digestive fire. You want that fire stoking. You want it hot. It's really important to trigger a whole bunch of other mechanisms in your digestion. I think about it like the game Mousetrap, which I know you hate that game. I hated that game. I was horrible at it. You just thought it was stupid. So, <laughs> Mousetrap, it was a 70s game, you know, and you've got this silver ball, and the ball is supposed to be going through the whole trap, and if it gets caught at one point, you know, your game is over. I don't really remember how to play it, but I just think of it like the mechanism where this bolus of food is going through the digestive system. You don't want it to get trapped under that thing that falls down in Mousetrap, and stuck in a certain place. You want the digestion to keep rolling on like it should. Stomach acid triggers all these mechanisms. It it releases enzymes. It will send a message to your gallbladder to start producing bile salts if you have fat in your stomach. It will signal your pan- your pancreas to release pancreatic enzymes. So all these triggers that happen with stomach acid are really important. Digesting your food is the first line of defense, your stomach acid, again, for your immunity. So if you have an adequate level of stomach acid, that makes you 
more immune to getting sick. We, we were talking about food on TV. So if you eat out very much, number one, so you're not in control of what's going on with your food. There's some person back there handling your food, and there's going to be bacteria introduced into your body through that food, maybe viruses. And when you come in contact with that food that has this pathogen on it, your first line of defense is that stomach acid. Because think about that acid and how strong it is. It should be able to kill most of those foodborne illnesses. It bathes your stomach and it neutralizes any pathogens. So if you don't have adequate stomach acid, you're more likely to have a foodborne illness. Other things that can lower your stomach acid are medications. And we're going to get into a little bit about antacids. That's a huge topic. But antacids that people take actually make your stomach acid inadequate. They do because, like I said, a lot of them, like your basic Tums, the reason why it makes people feel better is because a little bit of stomach acid, even if it's the wrong pH to digest your food, it's still really, really acidic. And your stomach has a mucosal lining that protects it but your esophagus doesn't. So when this, there's a little valve in your top of your stomach called a cardiac sphincter. And if food's been sitting in your stomach at the wrong pH, it starts to ferment, putrefy, or rancidify. And then it creates gas. And that gas will open up that little valve and let a little bit of stomach acid burp up into your esophagus and it burns because it doesn't have any protection. So that means having inadequate stomach acid, which is most people's problem that causes digestion, when you take an antacid, you actually make it worse. Absolutely. You absolutely do. And then you get into those things where if somebody goes to the doctor, they have a a stomach uh, problem like they're having acid reflux, a doctor will give them a proton pump inhibitor like Prilosec. And those those are even the next step in the game where it literally will stop the production of stomach acid. Can you imagine You're only creating more problems for yourself down the road. The solution on that is to get your stomach acid actually tested so you know what it is and whether or not you need to lower it. Probably have to find a naturopathic doctor for that or a practitioner who will do that. I don't even know because most gastroenterologists don't want to do that test. It's way easier to just pass a prescription of a proton pump inhibitor, an H2 blocker, or an antacid to somebody than to actually test and find out, oh, wow. It's actually not acidic enough. Some of the parts of the digestive system that happen in the stomach, we're going to talk about, we're talking about the gallbladder, the pancreas, and just the stomach in general, what it does. But if you're new to a ketogenic diet and you're starting to up your intake of fat and lower your amount of carbohydrates, so the few things you should probably expect when you start eating that high amount of fat. Oh, yeah, because when most people start on any kind of new diet, if they're like me, they want to jump all in. And we've had clients who have done that, that give us the call of, hey, what's up? I ate my breakfast and now I've either been on the toilet for three hours or I've thrown up twice. What's going on? This ketogenic diet does not work. They go from not eating much fat to eating all the fat in about a day. And if you do that, you're going to have some digestive problems because your system is not ready. Your fat receptors in your digestive system have been reduced over time if you're eating low fat. So they need time to ramp their processes back up. Yeah. And then that's not even talking about what's going on with the liver gallbladder because our liver to digest fats, our liver makes this stuff called bile salts. It's kind of like the Dawn detergent of the body. It emulsifies the fats that we eat. 
And the gallbladder is there to hold that excess bile that we create so we can use it very quickly when we have a high-fat meal. And people who are coming to keto, maybe even from... Uh, even from a paleo diet sometimes, they just haven't had a lot of gallbladder action, or maybe they don't even have a gallbladder. So increasing fat slowly over time and doing smaller meals at first can really help with that fat digestion. You have to readjust to the type of food you're putting in your body. And again, like we said, if you've been eating a low-fat, high-carb diet and you're switching, you need to give your body time to adjust to all those processes. And, you know, we hear about people, if you haven't eaten a high-fat diet, your gallbladder can be sluggish. That's how they refer to it. So there could be some a bit of pain initially before it gets reaccustomed to having to work a lot. One thing that you can do is just go a little slower. Maybe you use some fats that don't require bile salts to break down, like coconut oil, which is a really awesome fat to use in the ketogenic diet. Now, there are a couple of supplements that you can use to help make your stomach acid work better. What are those? So a lot of people, before you jump into supplements, can just try something simple like adding a squeeze of lemon to your water and drinking that about 15 minutes before you eat. What that does is that helps stimulate your gastric juices to flow. Um, The big thing is that moment of silence or taking that breath and getting into that parasympathetic state. Also, just apple cider vinegar in your water. You can do that. Some people hate that taste, so... I really love to stimulate my gastric juices. Yeah. (laughs) So there's some other things you can try, like digestive bitters. There's a lot of those on the market. If you get into the situation where you really know your stomach acid is very compromised, you can take something called HCL supplements, and that's basically a hydrochloric acid supplement. And to test that, there are some great ways to know what your dosage should be. You should probably work with a practitioner or a nutritionist that can help you with that. But you can also go online and find some really cool ways uh, of testing your stomach acid in that way to see how and where you are. Also heard about digestive enzymes or bitters. Yeah, I mentioned the digestive bitters. And that's usually just a, a... It's like a drop, you can get it in droppers or you can take a spoonful of it and it's very bitter. And what you want to do with those is let them sit on your tongue for just a moment because that stimulates the gastric juices to start flowing. And you want to do that about 15 minutes before you eat to give your stomach time to start working properly. And then enzymes, some people find that if they take pancreatic enzymes, that that will also help with digestion. Okay, once the... The food in the stomach has been all digested up and it turns into chyme. It's going to get pushed off into the small intestine. Yeah, and it does this just a little at a time because at the beginning of the small intestine is this, the very first part is called the duodenum. And you can think of it like a second stomach. The optimal time that food should remain in the stomach is about two hours. Sometimes it remains longer. It depends on how much fat was in the meal. Are you telling me that meat doesn't rot? In your stomach? I am telling you that meat doesn't rot. It shouldn't. Now, it can. That would be the putrefaction of the proteins. And that's without adequate stomach acid because you really have to have that to trigger this one enzyme in your stomach called pepsinogen and turn it into pepsin. And it requires HCL. And that's what breaks down those proteins into amino acids. 
so that when they do hit that duodenum and they get into the small intestine, their job there is that they're already digested, they're already ready to go, and then the intest, small intestine acts as the transfer for all those wonderful amino acids to go into the body and go do their job, which, whether it's make uh, other enzymes. Proteins do so many things in the body. They make red blood cells, so they have so much work to do. They need to be broken down adequately to be used properly, and 95% of them get absorbed through the small intestine. Your small intestine is going to absorb the fats and the proteins. Mostly it's going to pull them out uh, through the microvilli and get into your system. But what about when there's something that the food that gets into your small intestine that's not absorbed properly? Uh, When it's not broken down adequately. So if you get, this is where autoimmune disease really comes in. We see so many people that have autoimmune diseases every day. And what I want to just scream at the top of my lungs is check your digestion because it's that inadequate breakdown of proteins into the proper amino acids that really will lead to an autoimmune disease because through the small intestine, when an amino acid gets pulled through, it gets pulled through and it should be small enough to just go right out into the bloodstream. But when it's too big, it makes a hole. It starts to break down. Think of it like a jolly green giant trampling over a field and smashing down all the field. Well, your microvilli and your villi are like these wavy little fields of little tentacles. I always think of them like tentacles. And um, they grab onto these amino acids and let them go through the small intestinal wall. When they're too big, they start breaking that down, and and it starts to create a thing called leaky gut. Something else that can decrease the ability of your microvilli to absorb all those fats and proteins and sugar. So if you're eating a lot of sugar, it, it kills your microvilli. It pushes them down, like she said. And that makes it, even if you did digest the food well, you're not going to be able to absorb it as well as you should. But the point is, if protein, when protein gets in your small intestines, digested well or not, your body is going to try to pull it out. It is. And if it's too big and it gets into your blood, guess what happens? Well, Your body's going to fight it. Yeah, because now what is it? It's a foreign invader. Because your body doesn't recognize it. It's like, that's too big. Get out of here. So the immune system gets called into action and that's when we create these antibodies against proteins that we should be using for fuel in our body to, for, to fuel all these different processes. Once your small intestine is done absorbing the fats and proteins that it can get, then it goes through the whole thing and gets all the way in, and gets transferred into the colon. Yeah, that large intestine, about five feet of tubing there. What's interesting about the large intestine is that really you're just talking about recycling water. You're talking about uh, some waste material. So usually that waste material is going to be, let's say you had some kale. Well, you can't break down all that kale. You have something left called fiber. That fiber is what goes all the way through and that indigestible fiber gets into the colon and that's where it can have one last ditch effort to try to extract any nutrients out of that fiber. And that's what, you know, the large intestine is primarily for is to try to extract any leftover nutrients that might be left out of indigestible fiber. It also is there when your small intestine, every two to four days, you're sloughing off cells in your small intestine. So basically you're making a new intestine all the time. 
And those cells have to go somewhere. They get pulled out in the fecal matter. So your large intestine is kind of the last stop for all food. It's going to extract what it can as best it can and get it out and get it into your system. Now, one thing we always talk about is we say, you know, carbs are not essential. You don't need fiber. A good point to make is people live without their colon. Yeah, they do. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you can't really live without your small intestine. I think I read somewhere where some people have had a lot of their small intestine removed, but then you have to take these medications forever. But people live without their colon all the time. Right. And so when you talk about indigestible fiber, it gets digested in the colon. You can live without your colon. So why would you ever really need digestible fiber? That's another conversation, but it's just a good point I like to make. I know. We always like to make that point. It's interesting, though, because on so many other ketogenic podcasts and conferences and different things, I hear something so conflicting to me all the time, and it's carbs are non-essential, but every vegetable is a carb, and then I'm told I have to eat all these vegetables. So that's why I really wanted to do this carnivore challenge to see, can I live without all that fiber? Because I love vegetables. I really did. And I wanted to see how I could not only live, but if I felt great and if I could actually thrive not eating them. And I've kind of found that I can. For us, we found that fiber is not important. That's basically it. That's for us. We're our own little experiment. I'm not saying I'm never going to eat any vegetables again, but I'm saying that it was really cool to know that I don't have to. I've never liked vegetables. As a kid, I hated to eat vegetables. I ate mostly meat. Uh, didn't seem to bother me. And so doing this all meat for the past 66 days has just proven the point that I don't need vegetables. Isn't that crazy? I would have never thought. I mean, this goes so, con. it's contrary to everything I've ever thought in my entire life. But that's another podcast, I guess. Once the colon gets done with what it has, it's going to turn it into poop and it's going to Dump it out. We are back to my favorite subject. (laughs) So we're back to talking about what goes in the toilet. Hopefully it goes in the toilet. What comes out your butt, basically. (laughs) And how it should look and whether it should float or not float. Like I said, I started thinking about digestion about the age of 28. Before that, I didn't even think about... I didn't connect my stomach issues with the food that was going in my mouth, but I read this book and it talked about poop. And it was the first time I'd ever really read anything about what your poop should look like. Now I look back and go, that was completely wrong because it said my poop should float. It was a book that was like very heavy into soy and all these different things and not eating red meat. So now I realize that, yeah, you don't really want your poop to float because that means, guess what? You're not absorbing your fat. And if you're you're eating fat, again, fat is life. It's part of every cell of your body. It's what keeps you healthy. So this whole past 60 years of trying to suppress fat is why everybody's so sick. Being able to know whether or not you're you're absorbing your fat is very important. Look at your poop because it will tell you a lot. One thing about digestion and poop is that if you have food in your poop that you can clearly identify... Your digestion is not working well. And then why are you eating that food? Yeah. You know, it could mean that your stomach acid is not adequate. It could mean that you're not chewing very well. It can mean all those things. Because if you've got leaves of kale coming out in your toilet, you are, A, you're not chewing your food. B, your stomach acid is not correct. And now you are not digesting it even in your colon. Also, if your poop reeks, 
If it smells really bad, that's also a sign of some problems in your digestive process. Yeah, you know, that can be that can be a lot of things. That can be too much, way too much protein. Uh, we see that we've seen that a lot with military guys. <laughs> Most often it's too much protein. I know when I was in the military, guys would take a lot of protein because they're trying to build muscle. So in the morning when you're stuck in a room for muster with about a hundred other guys, it's totally stinky. I mean it's the, horrible. The, the trumpets that go off all morning long, and guys think it's hilarious, even though you can't stand it. They think it's really funny to fart. Yeah. So we're all, you're we're all, not. We're all eternal 12 year old kids. <laughs> you're trapped. You're trapped in this you're, room full of methane. <laughs> yes, it's horrible. That's horrible. And, you know, that, that gas can be like rotten eggs, it can stink really bad. Another thing about your colon and digestion and poop is that if it's if you look at it not only if it floats but if you can clearly see fat in your stool then you're not digesting your fats properly sometimes people will see even mucus in their stool and there's a lot of things that can be indicated there I would first check your digestion. If you're feeling gassy and bloated after a meal, this is a clear sign that you need to go back and maybe begin at the beginning of digestion, which is to just sit for a moment and be thankful for your food and get into that good parasympathetic state and start from there. We know, people, we know people who get bloated all the time after they eat, and that's a, a key indicator of you're just not digesting your food. You know, some of it can be uh, food allergies and things like that, but I always start with stomach acid. That's, you know, that's key. We've hit on stomach acid quite a bit, so clearly it's important, but we've covered the top-to-bottom process, and we end at the poop. We didn't want to leave poop out of the conversation. You can't leave poop out of the conversation. It's seriously important. <laughs> and, you know, one thing that happens in the large intestine, you know, I always like to somehow hit on hormones. Um, your hormones, ladies, your estrogen that needs to be used once and then it needs to be discarded, it gets discarded through urine and, and your poop. So you want that to be working well. I always say if you're not pooping once a day, you're constipated. If you're listening to this and maybe you're brand new to keto and you're starting to eat, A, a lot of fiber, a lot of fat, you're decreasing your starchy carbohydrates but increasing all those leafy greens, you might find that you're going to have a little digestive distress every now and again. And the biggest thing is to go back and start looking at that stomach acid. And we'll say it a hundred times because it's, it's, it's key to everything. So that's it. We've covered uh, everything I think we need to cover. We could probably go on for another couple hours. We try to keep it as simple as possible. If you have questions about it, please send them to us. We'd be happy to answer them. And also leave us a review. We love really good reviews. But if you, uh, if you don't like it, honestly, just keep it to yourself. Thanks for listening to The Tactical Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to vtkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.